Amen. It's Christmas. I've I, I become convinced, as much as I like warm weather, hot weather, I think I love the Christmas season even more. It's a time of faith renewal for me. I'll pray for you as well, maybe. A time of once again remembering why I do this, why I, why I serve as a pastor, why I follow Jesus. This is, it has so many distractions to that spiritual renewal. Every single Christmas, I have to fight to focus on what Christmas is really about. For me, it's always work. Maybe for you too, maybe it's just getting busy with the trappings of the holiday and the shopping and the cooking and the planning and all that. I, I, so many distractions. I want to encourage you, don't let, it, don't let it slip by this Christmas. Try to dive in into the mystery of the incarnation. Dive in into the mystery of the God-man and the, the, the first advent, the coming of Christ. Dive in. Don't let this Christmas go by without deep reflection and meditation and prayer in the Word of God about what it is, what it is we celebrate. And we get to do it every day, actually. But it's still special this time of year. It's, am I right? This time of year is still special. Even Hallmark gets excited. I'm joking. So we're studying Christmas is love, the real love of Christmas. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we find ourselves. Now today we dive into the portion of it that is most memorable to all of us. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word now, as we come to reflect deeply upon what it means that Christmas is love, what love is according to you, not according to Hallmark or according to uh, our love songs, but what love really is. So teach us, will you teach us? We all need, we all need to understand and grow in love. So please help us. What a great time to reflect upon love at Christmas. What a great time. But it's also a hard time. Some of us have lost loved ones, and so we are hurting. We think of certainly our sister to Brianna Taylor, who is saying goodbye to her father. Lord, we think of her. We think of so many others. Lord, we think of our dear sister Anne, who has lost, who we have lost, and members of our church have lost. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Christmas is not always the most easy time to rejoice because of loss. So help us to see Jesus so that we might be lifted up. We pray for our brother John Rice, who just lost his mother, I think, even this morning. Lord, bless him and comfort him. Oh, Lord, in the midst of sorrow, give us the joy of Jesus, the joy of the Lord a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Give our elders joy. 
as they serve in a difficult time. Oh, Lord, help us. We all need your joy. So help us to sense, feel, and experience anew your love. Nothing will give us greater joy than to know that we are loved by you. And through that, we can love one another. So bless your word now and use your unworthy servant to bring it, to, to preach in love and for love. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 13. Well, are you going to start at 31? Okay, we'll go back up to 31. I see it up on the screen. We'll start there, 1231. I'm going to read through down to verse 8. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. That's our text. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you again, praise team, so much. Please, beautiful music. Thank you, choir. Man, that was beautiful too. I'm not much of an, I was never an English major. Matter of fact, I think my English got better, barely, studying Greek and Hebrew in seminary. You had to know some, you had to go back and remember, what's a preposition? So I'm going to take a stab at something. When you say something is something, you are giving an important description of it. It speaks of being, what you are, what it is. The building is, is large. That's a description of that building. It is not small. That person is a liar. That's a significant description of that person. He or she is not in the habit of speaking the truth. God is love. That is a significant description of the character of God. The Bible actually says that in 1 John 4, 8 and Verse 16 says it twice in one chapter. God is love. And when the Bible repeats itself, it means get this. <laughs> in his very being, God is love. He is the author and giver of love, the greatest lover who's ever been, God. God love would not exist without God. 
And Jesus is the supreme expression of God's love and therefore of love, period. You want to see the greatest picture of love? Don't go to a painting. Don't go to your favorite music. The greatest picture of love is Jesus. Supreme. Nothing even comes close to the love of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus came down at Christmas, God's greatest expression of love became human. Well, let me put it this way, more theologically correct. When the second person of the Trinity came down at Christmas and became the man Jesus, we saw the, 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 the supreme expression of God's love. So if we truly celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating divine love. A divine love that has impacted our lives personally, but also collectively as a church. What we are doing is celebrating that magnificent, awe-inspiring, heart-rending, soul-searching, life-transforming love of the living God. Therefore, those who celebrate this divine love should be the most loving people on the planet. So, how's your love life this Christmas? Last time we saw how important love is. Without it, nothing. Great gifts, great gifting, great speech, even great personal sacrifices mean zero on the scoreboard of heaven without love. When we experience the love of Jesus, that love is meant to be expressed through us, not just soaked up by us like a sponge. So what God has to do is squeeze his love out of us so that those around us get wet. So now we're going to begin to look at the various expressions of that love of God in Christ as seen in his disciples. These descriptions are really descriptions of Jesus. Put Jesus' name in the text. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envy or boast. That's true. That's accurate. That's what this is about. But do something more scary. Put your name in the text. Kevin is patient. Kevin is kind. Kevin does not envy or boast. Keep on going. It's real quiet in here. Because you're like me, aren't you? You're cringing. I'm, I, I did it, and I, I, I'm, I'm still cringing. I did it in my studies, and I'm still cringing. Because I know how far short I fall of this. I, I, I know. I, I, I know me a little bit. I need you to help me see me sometimes, but I know me a little bit. And when I look at that text and I put my name there, I go, the same thing you're going, help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. And that's exactly what you should be doing. That's exactly the expression we should all be having right now. Help me. I want that. 
I want you to squeeze that out of me. Pour it in me and squeeze it out of me. And one of the best methods God uses for squeezing the love out of us is dealing with difficult people with difficult circumstances. It seems the first description of Christ-like love, and maybe even to some degree the second, does exactly that. As we look at this detailed description of love, I want you to understand one thing. They're all verbs. Patient, love is patient, love is kind. All, all of those are verbs. Love is not something we say or believe, it is something we do. It's what 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He doesn't mean we should talk and say we love each other. He doesn't mean we shouldn't. He just says, if that's all you got, you ain't got it. Bad English, good gospel. I know. Because there's much talk about love. I mean, really, how much talk? It rolls off our tongues, I love you. But it's what we do that gives the truth or the lie to what we say. If you tell someone you love them and then treat them in an unloving way, that's called a disconnect. And we need God every day in Christ by the power of his spirit to make us more consistent lovers. Are you praying for your love? So in these first two descriptions, what love is, and remember, this is the only time he says that. These first two verse, these first two, love is. All the rest, love is not. Until we get down further and in, close in, into verse seven. So today, love is. We see that God's love is patient, passively patient, and actively kind toward others. First of all, Christmas love triumphs over hardships. Patience has to do with being slow to anger. It means long-suffering. It would be the opposite of having a hair trigger on your anger. This implies a measure of internal and even external control in a difficult circumstance while waiting. So patience implies waiting. And here's the beautiful thing about the scriptures, what we see. God himself is described over and over again as slow to anger, as patience. I'm going to show you some verses, so hang in there. Exodus 3, 34, 6. This is the Lord. This is after, Mo, this is, uh, after the, the people had sinned with the golden calf and Moses asked to see the, see the glory of God. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, that's his covenant name, all caps, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, there it is, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nehemiah 9, 17 and 18, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that Nehemiah is praying to God. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. They should have been forsaken. But God is patient 
and long-suffering. How about Psalm 103, verse 8? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. His patience is, is why the prophet Jonah ran from God and would not go to Nineveh. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. He knew how long-suffering God was. And so, because remember, Nineveh was God was Israel's enemy. So he wanted them dead, wiped off the face of the earth. Now, after he finally got the message and preached his incredibly short and condemning sermon, <laughs> you're all going to die. God, basically <laughs> what he said to him, you're all dead. <laughs> 40 days or 30 days, whatever it was, <laughs> and you're all dead. <laughs> and that's, what a message. Where is the gospel in that, right? <laughs> you think, you left, now that's legalism. <laughs> but it was true. It was true. But here's what happens, Jonah 4, 2. Because <laughs> God brought a revival in Nineveh. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is what I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's why I didn't want to go. He's whining. But he knows the Bible. And notice the same phrases appear. I just gave you examples from each genre of the Old Testament. <laughs> from, the history, from the law to history, the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the um, what's the word I'm thinking about? Uh, poetry and then the prophets all say the same thing and it about God. And it includes time and time again, he is slow to anger. Whew. You think we need to know this? But here's another thing. Think about how many centuries the Godhead patiently waited from Adam's first sin to Christmas Day. You talk about patience, playing the long game. From, I mean, God knew what he was going to do. There was no, what are we going to do? Let's think about it. For, no, they, they, it was already the plan. But, 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 it, but he, I, I couldn't have waited. Let's do it now. <laughs> you know, get it done. But God ain't me. He ain't you. Centuries, millennia go by before Christmas comes. All the years of humanity's destructive rebellion and even God's own people's fickle hearts towards him. And he waited. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time, God waited centuries. He waited, he waited for, for, for the, he, he, actually he did it. He caused the Roman Empire to rise up and he waited. Because he ordained it. And Jesus is born at just the right time, just the right moment. Christmas shows us the great patience of the God of heaven. And when we see Jesus, 
Then we see Jesus walking among us. Do you see his patience? Do you see his patience when he begins? I mean, let's just jump to his, his, his beginning of his ministry. Let's just jump forward. I mean, there's patience before that. He had to mature like us. The Son of God had to grow up. That just blows my mind all by itself. Then at 30, he begins his ministry, and for three years, he with patience put up with a group of people who were trying to kill him the whole time. You ever want to, you ever been hunted by folk? Can you imagine for three years, there's a group of powerful people who want you dead, Cornell, and they are watching for an opportunity to kill you. Can you imagine living under that? And they have the power to do it. Only thing standing between you and them is God. Jesus, with patience, endured their tricks, their traps, and they finally got him when God was ready. Do you see do you see his patience with his disciples? How they failed time? Two, two of them wanted to kill folk. Let's call down fire, James and John said, the sons of thunder. Let's call down fire on those folk. Do you got Peter? He with the shoe-sized mouth, always putting his foot in his mouth. You got their lack of faith when they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus is like, how long shall I be with you? Oh, you little... You know what I mean? He's putting up with his disciples, their lack of getting it. He's telling them he's going to die. They don't get it. He's telling them who he is. They don't get it fully. They're still thinking he's a revolutionary, about to set them free for the Romans. So when he dies, they're dejected. They don't get it. Aren't you glad he's patient with disciples? Paul comments on the Lord's great patience towards him and us for our salvation. This is beautiful. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. I think I put three acid. That's the way it is. It should be 1, 15, just so you know. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in, that in me, as the foremost, the foremost of sinners, he's saying, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you see it? He's saying, listen, if Jesus could save me, and I was a slayer of, of, of saints, I was a killer of terrorists to Christians, if he could be patient with me while I was on my way doing, thinking I was doing it's amazing how we think we're doing God's service and wrecking things. And this was Paul. That's Paul. That's what he's saying. I thought I was doing God's work, but I was killing the church. And God was patient with me. Not that he said Paul was right, but he didn't wipe him off the planet because he was going to save him. Don't you see it? That's what he's been with you. I don't know when you came to faith in Jesus. Some of you may have grew up in a Christian home and you don't remember a day when you weren't a Christian. God bless you. Thank you. Thank God. I hope my children would, would think, would feel, would, would be that, would feel that. But some of us have my testimony. 
And we went, we didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I realized the patience of God. How he saved my life a few times properly. Kept me from going into some deep stuff like drugs and whatever. He saved me. He was patient. He waited. He didn't just let me go. And even if you were born in a Christian home, your parents have a testimony. Your grandparents have Somebody got a testimony. God was patient with your family, believe me. And he's still patient with us. Think about that. How patient has the Lord been with you even this week? And rejoice. The old saying is true. Patience is a virtue. How many times have you prayed as you dealt with someone difficult? Lord, give me patience. <laughs> Especially if you're a parent. We are so impatient with each other. Have you noticed that? I put it this way. We demand immediate change, or at least a plan for immediate change, immediately. We, we leave marriages, jobs, churches, because, and other things because we want change right now. Deal with your sin or problem, or I'm out, baby. As if we ourselves, we forget that we ourselves change very slowly. Let's be honest with that. I can't tell you how many times God has to point his finger on something in my life before I go, oh, that's what you're saying. You mean I have a problem here? For the hundredth time my wife has told me, or the thirtieth time someone else has told me, or the, or the hundredth time I've read it in the scripture, the, oh, boo, 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 I see it now, and God has been waiting the whole time. Not falling off the throne, not going off angry, you know, having a hissy fit around heaven. He's been waiting patiently for you. And we're not speaking of ordinary human patience here. We're speaking of the type of patience that is only produced by the Spirit of God because of the love of God revealed in Jesus. This is not just ordinary patience. This is Spirit-empowered patience. It's Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It, it sounds very similar to 1 Corinthians 13 in many ways. But the Spirit is, what, is who produces this patience in us because we are united to Christ and we are trusting in Him, and that's who's doing the work. He is creating the image of Jesus in us as we go along and walk with Him. This Christmas patience, this Christmas love is patient because it is the image of Jesus. And sometimes he has to do it through, many times, it's through the hard spaces and through the difficult people. The story is told of a well-known Christian theologian who was traveling out of town, speaking at a conference. <laughs> I can kind of slightly relate. His flights were badly delayed. You've been there. So he arrived at this hotel all worn out. It's like when my wife and I went to Bali and I had to preach there for our missionaries. And we had... We hit seven airports before we got to Bali. We were flying at the time when, the, when China, when there was, when I think, was it Beijing, where they were having the, uh, out, the out, 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 outbursts and protests, and they shut down the airport. That was our airport. 
So we thank God they caught it so we were stuck here in the States and not stuck there. But with seven airports, it took us three days to get to Bali. Same clothes for three days. I understand what this man is, what this man, it's a true story about it. I wouldn't know what this man went through. He goes, he gets to the hotel worn out. He goes to the desk clerk after look, and after looking for several minutes, the clerk tells him, you know what he says, right? He tells him, I don't see your reservation. I mean, I mean, at this moment, it was the last straw, the one that killed the camel's back. You know that one. And, and this guy, he lost it. He, his temper flared. He flew off the handle. The clerk, now the clerk's a bit taken back. You know how they're trying to help you, but they can't do anything. But he kept working. He kept working. He finally found him a room. And so when the, when the, the theologian signs in, the clerk in awe and amazement looks at his name and says, are you really Dr. So-and-so from Blah Blah Seminary? I'm trying to protect the guilty. He says, I just became a Christian a few months ago. What an honor to meet you. Mayday, mayday, mayday. <laughs> Pull me out, Scotty, beam me up. <laughs> Michael, somebody come get me. I mean, come on. Haven't you experienced that? I mean, have you ever experienced that when, when you, you get outed? It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Why do I choose that? Did you see, do you see what's going on there? In the middle, is it on the screen? Oh, you don't have that one? Romans 12, 12. You have, can you, if you can find it, don't worry about it. Just follow me. Rejoice in hope. In the middle, be patient in tribulation. Last, be constant in prayer. Notice this. Patient in tribulation is surrounded by two other attributes. Rejoicing in hope, constant in prayer. Look at the friends it keeps. I, I think Paul wrote that like that for a reason. He wanted us to get this. Listen, patience in tribulation, patience in hardships comes to us as we are rejoicing in hope. We, we are looking past the situation towards the future. We know God is still good and will be good to us on the other side of this tribulation. That's where we start. We got to have hope. Without hope, you will never have patience. Without hope, we give up. Without hope, people die. So we got, so hope is important. Hope, again, looking to Christ, looking to the fact that God has a plan, looking to the fact that you know you are safe and secure in his hands. That's one. Now watch this on the other side, constant in prayer. Because saints, patience doesn't just come. Now, God in his grace sometimes just pops it. He just, he'll hit you with something. And you'll just, you'll wonder how you why your heart rate never went up. That happens. I, I, can t I know that happens. But most of the time, you have to pray your way through. You have to pray your way through. Because prayer says, I'm dependent. I don't have the resources to deal with this tribulation. I don't have the resources to be patient, Lord. I want you to fix it now. If you don't fix it now, I'm going to pitch a hissy. 
wonder how many hissies we would, we would not pitch if we prayed. I'm just saying. God gives patience through our union with Christ as we trust in him for the future and call upon him in prayer. Lastly, just one other point, and then we're going to, oh, boy. Mm, maybe, never mind. <laughs> we'll come back to it next week. I'll have to do extra work here. But um, <laughs> in college, I remember I wanted to be, live on campus, but I didn't. Kind of hard to live on campus when you live in the city where you're going to school. Mom didn't want to spend that money. Shame on her. So I never had the dorm room experience, the roommate experience, but my daughters, three of my daughters have had that experience. I'm so glad that they had it. You know, some, and sometimes you have, they've had good roommates, and they've had some bad roommates. We don't talk about the bad ones. The good ones were patient and kind, actually. If they forgot to clean up the dishes, they didn't get beat up and blasted by the roommate, you know? Patience. And, and when they got sick, their roommates would help take care of them, you know? Soup, <laughs> you know? Showing them patience and care and kindness. Jesus can be thought of kind of like a roommate. He's the most patient roommate you ever had. More patient than your spouse, mom and dad. He's the one who, when you screw up and you do, when you mess up, when you sin, he doesn't throw you out the family, doesn't turn his back and say, I'm done with you, doesn't leave you. He, he's, he says, come here. I love you. Come here. I've been waiting for centuries to have you. Come here. Think about it. He's waited centuries to have you. Millennia to have you. You can't get more patient than that. So he's not going to turn his back on you now because you messed up. He's patient and kind. We didn't get to kind. We'll get there next week, but and kind. He cares for you. He's a great roommate, but he's more than that. He's a soulmate. He has lovingly, actively invaded your soul by his spirit. So, he, so that he not only does for you with patience, he is doing in you and through you. It is through you that he wants to show his patience to the world. It is through you as you relate to others and you are long-suffering and forgiving, because that goes along with long-suffering, and forgiving, that you don't write people off right away because they blew it. That you're not so easily moved to, to abandon people. To, I mean, Christian marriages, when we divorce, we're saying, I've lost my patience with you. That's not the way. He wants to display his long suffering through you. That's his doing in you and through you. He is changing you into his image every day so that you grow in patience with those around you.
Is this what you're seeking with all your heart, this kind of love? Not just his love for you because you got that. The question is, are you, a, are you seeking for his love to flow through you to others in patience? Who is Jesus calling you to show loving patience to right now? Can I ask you that? Can I, can I be honest? Who is he right now? You know it's somebody or somebody's. Who is he calling you right now to display patience? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you're in a situation where you're being beat up, just wait. No. Call the cops. Get the authorities. Get in. I'm talking about relationally. Maybe even your job. Don't be so quick to quit your job. I've seen Christians do this for many, many years. Quit their jobs, don't have a job to go to. <laughs> don't do that. He's calling you to walk to patience. Making hair trigger split-second decisions out of anger will ruin you and ruin relationships and ruin people. He's working in this to bring you to patience. Where is your hope? And are you praying? And are you calling upon the love of Christ to work in you, to transform you? Do it today. Find that person. Pray for that person. How's your love life? Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize that patience is not our virtue. <laughs> We struggle with patience. Lord, we, we see it in our driving. Lord, we see it in the holidays, in the long lines we have to suffer through, in the traffic, and we, we see it in the frustrations that we go through around this season because we take on to do too much. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of patience and work in us a, such a love for those around us, for our family, for our church, for our, for our friends, for our neighbors even for our enemies. Work in us your patience so that Christ might be seen in us. In Jesus' name, amen.